Morning, everybody. This week's uh, Torah parsha is Tetzaveh, but we are also uh, close to the festival of Purim, right? The festival of where we're supposed to be rejoice and be happy. Jews were saved from uh, one of the greatest anti-Semites that ever lived, Haman, from Amalek. And um, it's a tremendous celebration. We mention it every Saturday night by the Havdalah. We mention the Pesach about the celebration of Purim. It's very interesting that's mentioned there. Uh, and I figured, let's see if we can have a tie-in, because this Parsha, the Parsha of Tetzaveh, which is this week's portion, which actually deals with the inauguration and the clothing of the Kohanim to serve in the Mishkan, always falls out close to Purim. So nothing is coincidence, and so we need to see, is there any connection, a linkage that we could bring between the two? Um, we have on different occasions spoken out that actually the beginning of the downfall of Ahasuerus, uh and one of his predecessors, Belshazzar the Mede, was they actually were celebrating the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash, there was a prophecy that 70 years uh, after destruction, the Jews would be uh, saved and God would take them back. And uh, they had captured all of the vessels from the Beit HaMikdash and the garments and the beautiful uh, garments from the Kohen Gadol were in the treasure houses of the Medes and the Persians, but they were afraid to use them because they knew of this prophecy. So, Thomas says, Belshazzar, who was a Mede, was a, was a king, he calculated the 70 years incorrectly, and the night that he celebrated, made a big party, he put on the clothes of the Kohen Gadol, that are listed in the Six Parsha, and he was assassinated that night. So, fast forward, Achashverosh, when he became the Persians' Medes, had they switched off because together they conquered the Babylonians, they conquered Nebuchadnezzar, and they gave a certain amount of years. The Medes would be in charge, so they are the, the Persians. So when he turned to be in, in rule, he had a different calculation, and in his second year, he figured he calculated correctly, and he also came out wearing the clothes of the Kohen Gadol, which we'll talk about what the significance of that is, but he also calculated incorrectly, and his punishment was, we had to keep him alive for the Purim story, but he ended up killing his wife, Vashti. It was the, that's the way the Talmud relates it. But you see there's a connection between Purim and the clothes that are talked about, the clothes in the Kohen Gadol. I'm going to focus on a different uh, aspect of it, and I just, I always try tie it back to uh, relationships and parenting, and I think just try to get some message, because everything is really all messages for us how to live our lives. So, we have in, in the inauguration of the Kohanim in terms of what they had to wear when they served. So we have a verse that says as follows, very interesting. This is a Pasuk, uh, this is in, in, uh, in, in, in this week's Parsha, Parsha Tzaveh, and um, it is uh, the third Aliyah, chapter 28, verse 41. So let's read it through here. It says, Vilbashta Osam. This is Aaron is, uh, uh, is, is being instructed 
by Moshe. By the way, fascinating, from the birth of Moshe and on, Moshe's name appears in every single Torah portion, except for this one. He does not appear here. And the Balaturim, one of the commentators in the beginning, he says that Moshe, when he, by the sin of the ego, which is going to be coming up next week, the parshas are written a little bit out of order according to right, this, but by the sin of the ego, he went and petitioned God. God wanted to destroy the Jewish people because they served the golden calf. And uh, Hashem, and, and, and Moshe says to him, he says, that, and, 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 you're going to destroy the Jewish people? Says, Don't worry. I'm going to leave you alive and we'll start a new nation from you. Moshe, you, are not, you didn't serve the golden calf and we will keep you alive and you will become the new nation. And Moshe said, I'd rather be erased from your book than you destroy the Jewish people. Now we know that God gave them atonement. However, there, because Moshe had said, I want to be erased from your book, there was at least on some level that that was fulfilled. His name doesn't appear in this week's Torah portion. And uh, the question is, okay, why this week's Parsha? Why this week's Parsha? So I saw a beautiful commentary. It's also a very important tip. This week's Parsha, Moshe Rabbein, as we're going to see, was inaugurating the Kohanim. He clothed them. He taught them what to do. He commissioned the building of the Mishkan. He put everything ready for the Kohanim. In fact, our sages tell us, and we based on the Psukim, when Moshe Rabbeinu came down to Egypt, Moshe was ready to be, he was fit to be the Kohen Gadol as well. He could have been. Because he, he didn't automatically agree to lead the Jewish people out of Egypt, he, there were seven days of debate going on, he lost the right to be Kohen Gadol. But he did put into play. He showed on everything he had to do. One of the worst things that a person going through life, one of the worst experiences that he has, if you have either a parent or an in-law, you know, that helps him, sets him up, and he keeps telling him, you are who you are because of me. You know, so it's a very difficult thing for a person to go through life feeling who you are who you are because somebody else allowed you or facilitated that. You know, you, so, Aaron is the Kohen Gadol because it was taken away from Moshe. Yet Moshe is the one that's setting everything up. He goes through seven days, Moshe Rabbeinu serves and shows Aaron how to do everything. The feeling is that if Moshe's name would be in this week's Parsha, the feeling that Aaron and his brothers would get, Aaron and his sons would get, is that it's all coming only because of Moshe, and that would be a very debilitating feeling. So therefore Moshe's name was left out of this week's Parsha, so they should not have the sense that it's only because of him that we have. I, I saw that as an interesting insight, and I think it's it's very important as parents to recognize that as well, is that, you know, uh, parents, especially uh, in-laws, anyone in a position where you help people, they should appreciate, let them appreciate what it is. that. Usually what happens is when you don't hear that appreciation, you have to emphasize it. The better thing to do is let them appreciate it without you having to emphasize it so you don't create that, that uh, situation. But let's go through it. It says, You will clothe the garments that were list, listed earlier in the, in the parsha. Right? As one of Aaron and his sons, uh, with him. And you will anoint them. There's a special anointing oil. 
very interesting. It's the, 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 the power of investing them, inaugurating them, uh, to do, to take on the position is called Mileisa es Yodam, Limalot es Yodam. What does Limalot es Yodam actually mean? Translate it. To fill their hands. And you, like, that's, that, the idea of investing them in the position, uh, inaugurating them, is called filling their hands. You'll sanctify them, and they will serve me. Says Rashi, let's go down to the Rashi here. Umileisa es Yodam, Kol Milu Yadayim. All forms of filling the hands is a lashon of chinuch, is a lashon of inauguration. And this is something also interesting because chinuch is also, what does chinuch also mean? Education. Education right? So we have to figure out what the connection between education and inauguration is. But all the ideas of filling hands is a lashon of chinuch of, of uh, inauguration. When you enter into a position that you're now taking possession of it. You are now, this is what you're going to be doing. <coughs> From that time and on, right? It's called filling, the, the idea what you do is you're filling the person's hands. He says, Ubeloshan Laz. Laz is old French. When Rashi uses Laz, it's old French. What's that? Lashon That's also like a language of the idol worshippers. But that's, it's referring to in Rashi, his language where he grew up in France. What does he say it is? He says that Adam al davar that in, in in the French and in Rashi's day, this is medieval times, right? Rashi lived in twelfth century, eleventh century, eleventh century, when they would appoint a person for something. No shalit yad. They would put it. It's called a gauntlet. It was a glove. They would fill the person's hand. They would put a glove in his hand. All right. Shakorin. Uh, Gaunt, that's gauntlet in French. The word gauntlet comes, that's the French word for it. Gaunt, I don't know what today, what the, what's the... God, God. that's, that's it. Like this is, this is, a, this is a thousand years ago. Anyway, so, they put that in his hand, right? And through this, he is now giving him over the, strengthening him, putting over, giving him over the position, the Korim Oso Mesira, and they call that Whatever that French word is, I'm not sure, right? For whom milu yadaim is called filling of the hands. Right? So, very interesting historical fact. Now remember, Rashi, the purpose of Rashi is to allow you to read a pasuk. Rashi is not, uh, he's not here, he's not National Geographic, he's not here. He's here to tell me this is the way to understand the verse. So the Ramban, Nachmanides, lived a century and a half after Rashi. He says, what's Rashi doing here? Who cares what they do in your time in old French, in, in old, old France? That has nothing to do with the verse, right? They put a glove in your hand. What, what does that have to do? Yes, it's called filling the hands. But the fact that they do that in old Fran- in, in France in, in the 11th century, what does that have to do with the verse? The Ramban is very perplexed. Why Rashi all of a sudden is that waxing historical, which that's not, well, Rashi is very careful with the words. He only gives us words that are needed. Who cares about this custom that they do in France at that time? Obviously, what Rashi is trying to tell you something is to help you understand the verse, and we have to understand exactly what it is that Rashi is trying to teach us over here. So, that's question number one. The Ramban's question on Rashi, what exactly is the filling of the hands got to do with the fact that in old France, in, 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 in medieval times, 
They put a glove in the person that vested authority, gave the... That's, that's the shot in the Pasuk here. How, how does that give us an insight to what the shot in the Pasuk? So that's question number one we want to deal with. In Vayikra, in, in Shmini, we're going to come across a very tragic uh, set of verses. This was actually the day that they, on the day that the Mishkan was erected, was Rosh Chodesh Nisan. And the seven days of, of, of practice had already gone through, and the Kohanim were ready to go. The Kohanim's Aaron and his four sons, Nadav, Aviyu, Elazar, Tamar, ready to start working. And two of Aaron's sons go rogue. Not of an Aviyu, go rogue. And they try to bring some type of fire sacrifice. Not for now, but when we get to the partial, deal with it. But they brought some kind of uh, service that was not commissioned. And they either went into the Kodesh Kodashim, went into the Heichal. There's different opinions what they did wrong. About nine or ten different opinions what they did actually did wrong. But a fire comes out of heaven and zaps them. On this very happy occasion, the erection of the Mishkan, all right, and Aaron and his remaining two sons are told, don't mourn, continue to do the service. Aaron has just lost two of his sons. They both died on that day. And the Pasuk says over there, right, you see Pasuk Hashem, a fire went out from before Hashem, and consumed them. Right, and they died before Hashem. All right, and the pasuk says that Moshe says to Aaron, he says to him, This is what Hashem said through my my holy ones. I'll become sanctified. You should view it as a, somehow as a kiddush Hashem. Right, and I'll be glorified in front of all the people. And you just continue doing what you're doing. Vayidom Aaron, and Aaron was silent. Which means Aaron could have protested, Aaron could have got upset, just lost two of his sons, and Aaron remained silent. Right? Fast forward. Verse 8. There's a parish in the Torah teaching us that a, when a Kohen goes into the service, he should not go in, in, in intoxicated. Now that's said specifically to Aaron. Almost every other time Hashem speaks, He speaks to Moshe and Aaron. Either to Moshe on his own or Moshe on Aaron, not to Aaron on his own. So Rashi brings down a medrash. He doesn't say this clearly here. He says that as a reward for Aaron being silent, Hashem had a special communion. This parsha was given over the Torah speaking specifically to Aaron himself. It doesn't say Moshe and Aaron. Why? Because of the way he reacted when he heard that his sons had been killed. Right? The Medrash actually elaborates, and this is what I want to discuss with it. The Medrash brings down a verse. The verse in Tehillim says, Hashem Yesharim, that the, in, the directives of Hashem are upright. They give a person simcha. They give a person happiness. Hashem's directions give us happiness. The verse, the Medrash brings down, that is what's going on here. That when, somehow when Aaron was spoken to by Hashem, that gave him happiness that took away the loss, the emptiness of what he felt when he lost his two sons. And I heard from Arashiva, I mean, it's a very, very strong question. You know, we actually, human beings can 
experience multiple feelings concurrently. There's actually halachas like that. Very interesting halacha. If a person loses a parent, right? You go into mourning and you make a blessing, Baruch Dayan Ha'emet. There's a special blessing that's supposed to mean that you justify God's will. If along with it comes a Yerusha, comes an inheritance, a large inheritance, you're supposed to make a Shechianu. Baruch Hashem. You thank Hashem for giving you this abundance. And the halach is that you make both. If you use, lose a relative and you gain a Yerusha, it's like almost contradictory blessings. No, you feel both. You're sad for the, the loss and you're happy for the... Because you compartmentalize. It. A human being is able to... You, know, you feel sad about this, you feel happy about this. Here, the Medrash is saying, that's not what happened over here. You could say, Aaron is upset that he lost his two sons and he's happy that God is having the special communion with him. But no, it says that because God came to him and spoke to him specifically, that somehow assuaged his upsetness. He is now happy, whereas he was sad from beforehand. And the question is, why? Why is that? First of all, why, uh, how does that work? It should be two separate things. He's happy because of this, he's sad, unless they're connected somehow. And we need to understand this. So we're really trying to figure out, the Medrash is learning that God's communion with him, that it came specifically to Aaron, that Aaron understood somehow that filled the void, filled the loss that he had, that his two sons had died. And the question is, how does that actually end up working? So, um, the, so, so, let's just review quickly questions we're asking. Number one is, Rashi brings down this custom that they had in old France of putting a glove into the hand of a person that is taking a position and the Ramban asks, who cares what they did in old friends? The fact is, yes, it's called filling the hands. Milu Yadayim, it's called inaugurating, being mechanech, starting something out for a new position. Why is what they did in old France in the 10th century, 11th century, have anything to do with the verse? Unless it's giving an insight, what is that insight? That was the one question we asked. And, um, we've now, and we asked now a question on how is God's communion with Aaron somehow assuaging the sadness he must have felt. There's nothing worse than losing a child. And now God coming to him, somehow that is, making it, the Pasuk said, makes him happy. How does that offset? You should be happy and sad. Like I said, you can feel, you can comment, come I'm happy you're coming to me with me, but how does it take away from the sadness that he feels for the loss of his children? Okay, one last question I want to deal with here. Let's just see if I can open this. Let's go to the Megillah. Alright. This is the Megillah. And you have here something which I think is going to be opening up for us some understanding. Haman is appointed as the second most powerful person. Now, it's really the most powerful person in the world. According to Chazal, there was... The, the established world at that time was 127 Medinot, and Ahasuerus was the king. He had conquered the entire world, and he's making, he's number two person, Haman, most, second most influential, powerful person. Also, the Medrash tells us, he was from the top three wealthiest people. Also, Esther has just invited him to come to dinner with her and 
Achashverosh. No one else gets that invite. So he has now something which he's invited, a special invite. He's had that. Chazal also tell us, Rov Banov, right? He had at least Rov, this gematria of 208. He had at least 208 sons. Right? I guess he could afford the tuitions. But he had 208 sons, right? A lot of children. He's got everything going for him. Everything. Wealth. Position. Family. Right? He comes out of the palace and he sees Mordechai there. And Mordechai refuses to give him the respect that he feels he deserves. Okay? He comes home depressed and upset. And he says, Everything I have is worthless. Everything is, is worthless. As long as I see Mordechai the Yehudi sitting there, what's the pathology there? You have everything. It's one guy. One guy. And the truth of the matter is, that we're not that much different in terms of ourselves. Yeah. I'll give an example for myself. I'm going through the surveys. Right. We have 350 surveys sent in and beautiful reports, responses, everyone. One person makes like this really caustic negative thing and that's all I can think about. I'm losing sleep over that. There's 349 good reports, and this one. Huh? Why is that making me unhappy? That one. Huh? You get up dressed very nicely to go to a wedding. You buy a new dress. You know, you'll think you're looking like a million bucks. You know, and if you've got uh, this caddy friend works over. You put in a couple of ounces lately. You know, tell your husband, take me home. That's it. Everyone else tells you you're looking beautiful. This one person is telling you. So it's not like Haman is, 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 is crazy. We are like that. That's the natural disposition. At least it shouldn't be. But that's the way we seem to be. Why is that? You've got so many things that are going for you. And yet... It doesn't take a lot to throw us off our game. It doesn't take a lot to make us unhappy, be upset, be depressed. So what we want to talk about today is what does it mean to be happy? Right? What does it mean actually to be happy from the Torah's perspective? And I think this is very, very important in all our relationships. And I think this is, you know, clearly there's no correlation between what I have or what I own to being happy. In fact, we see the most depressed people are the people that have the most. So having a lot and gaining and, and, and having uh, assets, that's not going to make us. Even though the American dream, right? Pursuit of happiness, that's how it's couched. The pursuit of happiness in the United States and the Western world focuses on acquiring, building up your portfolio. But we know that that's not what gives us happiness. Haman has everything. 
So what is it that we need? What is it that we seek to really make us happy? I think this is a very, very important point here. What a person really wants is validation. That from people that we consider important, that we see as important to us, if we feel that connection, we want to be validated. We want to feel that they have that connection, whether it be love for us, happy with us. If we feel validated by those who we should feel validated from, then we'll be untouchable. That is what will truly give us our sense of being, our sense of self, our sense of uh, uh, satisfaction, Unfortunately, we don't see things that way. We don't see things that way. What people want is validation. We try and fill that void by excess, by adding new things and buying a new, the new car and the new house and the new, you know, the, it, that's not going to give it to us. We need to feel validated. If we don't feel validated, we're not going to end up Getting, being happy. Now, so how does that work? <coughs> Who is it that should validate us? Who should validate us? Let's think about our relationships. There's no question that children need to be validated by who? Their parents. A spouse needs to be validated by their spouse. If your husband is not telling you you look like a million dollars and you need to go outside to feel that sense of validation, you know, that one person that tells you, hey, would you put on a couple of pounds? But if your husband makes you feel like a million dollars, I don't care what he feels. And it goes the other way around as well. Is the wife validating the husband? Is she making him feel that he's good enough and he's and, and happy? Or is she putting him down because he doesn't make enough money or putting him down and then he needs to go outside of that relationship to be validated? Children too. Children, it's not enough to say, I love my children. What are you doing to validate them? Do you express it? What do you do? What do we do is just buy them another toy. Buying them another toy or another video game or giving them more is not what validates them. They need to feel. They need to hear it. They need to see it. Unfortunately, that's, we're not, we, we've lost that capacity. We've lost that sense. They want to be valid. What happens when a child is not validated by his parents? Where does he seek validation? From his peers. In homes that children thrive, even though environment does impact, it's where they feel the validation from their home. They feel the validation from their home, the environment will have less of an impact. No, it's not going to happen, it'll have less, because they don't need their validation from the home. They need it from, from, the, from their environment. They need it from their homes. Ultimately, and we've talked about this before, 
Even parents, the purpose of parents are to get the children to an age level where the ultimate validation is we look for the true relationship that we want to be validated is from Hashem. Ultimately, that is where we want to get our validation from at the end of the day. We want to feel that we have that relationship. Arna Cohen has lost his two sons. On his level, he sees that that's a punishment. It's a punishment. There's been this distance. He's in mourning. He's upset. And he's not even given the right to be cathartic and have that experience. Hashem brings him in and has communion with him. That validates him. That shows him, you know what? I love you. I still love you. I'm not upset at you. I'm not... That assuages his hole, the hole that he feels that God, because he looks to God for his... That's where he gets his validation. He's able to get it when God comes back and says, I, I love you. And not only that, this halacha in the Torah I'm giving to you. Not even Moshe's involved to show him that we're, we're still good. Not only good... You're even closer. You're getting this alone. That validation brings him simcha. How did it bring him simcha? He lost a kid. Because that's the true, at the end of the day, that's his true relationship that validates him. That's what we should strive for, that we feel validated by God at the end of the day. Right? But every relationship, there is validation. Haman is not validated. Right? In fact, you could say, well, therefore, anyone can throw him off his game. The Gemara actually says even more. It says that Haman used to be the slave of Mordechai. One is interesting that in his youth, he was a slave that he worked for Mordechai. So ultimately, he ne- and Mordechai never released him. And Mordechai would say to him, everything you have is mine. That's actually what Mordechai would tell him, because a slave, everything a slave owns. So he really needs his validation <laughs> from Mordechai. You don't get his validation. You don't get it. Everything he has is meaningless. Why? Because from where he wants his validation, he does not have it. Validation is what brings fulfillment, what brings happiness. It's not what you have, how much you have. It's feeling validated. That's what we need to do. Everybody wants to feel validated. We just need to know who do we need to go to feel that feeling. And ourselves, in being in positions that we can validate. Husband sits and eats a meal. The wife spent hours cooking and complains it's too salty. As opposed to saying, that was a wonderful meal. That's a wonderful meal. Let me help you with the dishes. In five seconds, you can go from either validating what the person has done for you to completely showing a lack of appreciation and doing exactly the opposite. Okay, so what does that have to do with a glove? So Rashi is telling us something very, very important, and this also goes to education. When you validate somebody, you give them confidence, you give them strength, you let them believe that you trust that they can do what they're supposed to be doing. You're putting, you're putting your trust in them. Okay? It's very often is when a person is nervous, right? what shakes? Your hands. They tell you when you speak, you should hold on to the podium, right? You don't want to show people that you're nervous. The idea of putting something into someone's hands, you're saying, don't be nervous. I'm giving you something to hold on to. I'm giving you something to hold on to because I know what? I know you can do this. 
I know you can do this. You are the person that is cut out for this job. That's why inauguration is called Milu Yadayim. You're filling the person's hands. You want him to be successful, you've got to give him that feeling. Rashi is just bringing an example of how would they give that person the sense that they have that feeling. They would put something into their hands. Don't be nervous. Hold on to this. Rashi says that's why inauguration is called that filling the hands because if you want the person to be successful, give them the confidence that they can do it. That's what Raj is telling you. But, inauguration, and this is beautiful, Rashi says himself, is also called chinuch. What do we say chinuch means? Educating. Two messages here. Raji says that when you inaugurate, you give a person a feeling, you're doing this, and this is going to last all the way through the future. Educating a child, the idea has to be, I want you to start learning and, and acquiring these behaviors, these ideas, that you're going to be able to carry forward in life. That's what educate. That's why it's the same thing of chinuch and inauguration, same thing, because you're trying to create a situation that we're going to have an upstanding adult. What I'm teaching you now has to go forward. But in order to do that, you have to give the child the confidence that he's able to do it. That's the connection between inaugurating and chinuch. They have to do it. So two messages that take away is, you want to be happy, you need to feel validated. Find out who the people are that need to validate. Have the right people validate you. But have people that understand that. The worst thing is looking for validation. You hear this all the time. I mean, my own kids. They want to be friendly with someone in class. Right? The person doesn't want to be friendly. It destroys them, devastates them. You know? You're looking to the wrong person. Right? We can validate our children. That's the relationship that validates them. And you know what? That'll help them. There's always going to be, it'll, it'll, it'll mitigate. Anyone else that doesn't, we have given the confidence. We know who you can be. We've given them that. Validation starts with us as parents in a relationship with a husband and wife. Think of ways how to validate each other. You want them to be happy because of you. Buying things doesn't make happiness. Yes, it is a way of uh, showing how you feel about a person. But the item itself is not is what causes the happiness. It's the fact that you want to give something. Rabbi Tropper has these uh, lotteries, what are these, these uh, not the raffles. He gets like these do- at a dollar store and kids go crazy and they get so happy when they win. That's a dollar. The thing's going to be broken in three minutes, right? But they've been, they've been validated. They feel like, you know, somebody's there is giving them something. It's, it's, it's so, we seek it so much, we want that validation. Give it, and you'll make people happy, and please God, they should make you happy, and uh, we should go into Purim now with a new understanding of what it means to be happy. Thank you. Right. Thank you. Um, I don't think there's